Today's first reading and gospel present us with the greatest commandment, love of God and love of neighbor. It's interesting that in the first account that we heard, Moses places it after he's given all the other commandments of God. It's as though he's summing up the commandments in these two. And then when Jesus is asked, which is the first of the commandments? He could have started with the first of the Decalogue. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no strange gods before me. He could have started with some kind of rudimentary law. And yet he goes to the summary of the law, the heart of the law. You know, it's so simple. Love of God and love of neighbor. If we reminded ourselves of it more often, perhaps we would actually seek to fulfill it more. But we find in our practical everyday experiences that it's hard to actually live out those two. There is another thing, though, that can aid us in living out this commandment of love of God and love of neighbor. If love of God and love of neighbor are the heart, the reason for following the moral code, the reason for obeying God's commands, love, we know, though, that our love is imperfect and that we don't always act out of pure motives. And so we're reminded also in Scripture of our death as a motive for acting in accord with God's law. And so I wish to take a look this morning with you at the value of meditating on death. I know it sounds a bit morose or a little bit dark, but think about it. We're at that time of year when the trees are changing color, the natural world is going into a dormant stage, at least in the northern hemisphere, and maybe you've been able to get out and enjoy the last couple days the beautiful weather, and there's, there's something even on a natural level that brings us to, the, to, to remember the end of things. Sometimes a certain smell, maybe it's burning wood, or the leaves, the crispness of the air might bring back to our, our memories some past experiences of things that have happened in the fall, kind of stirring up in us a nostalgia. But also this time of year should not only stir up a nostalgia, but it should point us forward to the end of our life and that definitive moment when we will come before Christ. The Christian looks at death differently than the person who has no hope beyond this life. Because death doesn't have the same finality for the Christian. Death is always seen through the lens, or ought to be seen through the lens, of Christ's own death. This is why St. Paul says in the first letter to the Corinthians, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Death, where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is thy sting? So when we, look, when we think about death, it's through the fact that we've already, in a certain sense, in baptism, died with Christ. And we're awaiting that moment of our physical death so that we might rise with him. The other day I looked up on the internet just to see what other priests and pastors had to say about death. I found a Christian pastor out in California who was mentioning uh, how a friend of his had a court date 
and it was not looking good for him, depending on how the decision went in this, he might end up spending several years in prison. And he said, you can imagine how the only thing that's on his mind is the outcome of that meeting. It's what he's thinking about day and night. And he says, in a certain sense, that's how we should think about death. It should be ever present there as that definitive moment when we'll meet the judge. And unlike a few years, it will either be eternal life with him, maybe with a stop in purgatory, or eternal life apart from God. Another way of thinking about it, though, is if you knew, if an angel appeared to you or a saint and told you, you have 48 hours left. No matter what you do, you're not going to be able to extend your life. At 48 hours, you're coming home. What would you do? Some people might call up a relative they haven't talked to for a while. Maybe there's been some ill will between the two of them. Maybe they would uh, start being really nice to all their family and friends right around them. Maybe they come to church, go to confession, spend some extra time prayer. It can be a helpful exercise to do that once in a while. If I knew I had 48 hours, what would I do? How would I act? But to start acting that way now, to not put off those things we should. Because does it really matter if we have 48 hours, 48 years? Scripture tells us in Psalm 90, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There is something about meditating on our death or keeping it ever before our mind that actually leads to a wisdom that sees the world through God's eyes. Perhaps let's look at a more positive aspect. If you knew, again, that you were going to move at a certain date, you never would come back to Virginia, you're going to move to a far-off country, you would start researching on the internet what's the, the living conditions like there. You would start, perhaps, buying some clothes for initially for the new type of weather or whatever. You might try and make some contacts there. You would be preparing for that definitive moment when you moved and would never come back. All of our life here is really a preparation for true life with God. Everything good that we enjoy here, everything that's beautiful, everything that's true and truly lasting is a reflection of the good gifts that God has prepared for us in heaven. This is why the saints could look forward to their death with a certain anticipation. Some of them, many of them, would pray to know the hour of their death so that they might prepare for it. God granted that to some of them. Just last night I was reading about one man, he's not um, a saint, but a, a very holy man named Elkwin. He was the assistant to Charlemagne, really helped to form general education for, um, for lay people as well as clerics within um, Europe. There, there was nothing like it until that time. And he prayed that he would die on Pentecost Sunday was his favorite feast. He loved that feast. And God granted that gift of his. Speaking of Elkwin, I want to read to you the, uh, the, the saying on his tomb, the epitaph, because there's some deep wisdom in that for us. It reads, O thou who passest by, halt here 
a while, I pray, and write my words upon thy heart, that thou mayest learn thy fate from knowing mine. What thou art, once I was, a wayfarer not unknown in this world. What I am now, thou soon shalt be. Once was I wont to pluck earthly joys with eager hand, and now I am dust and ashes, the food of worms. Be mindful then to cherish thy soul rather than thy body, since the one is immortal, the other perishes. Why dost thou make to thyself pleasant abodes? See in how small a house I take my rest, as thou also shalt do one day. Why wrap thy limbs in Tyrian purple, so soon to be the food of dusty worms? As the flowers perish before the threshing blast, so shall it be with thy mortal part and worldly fame. O thou who readest, grant me in return for this warning one small favor and say, Give pardon, dear Christ, to thy servant who lies below. May no hand violate the sacred law of the grave until the archangel's trumpet shall sound from heaven. Then may he who lies in this tomb rise from the dusty earth to meet the great judge with his countless hosts of light. Elkwin, ever a lover of wisdom, was my name. Pray for my soul, all ye who read these words. A long epitaph there, but deeply, deeply uh, moving. This person lived and exemplified that supernatural outlook on life. Ignorance of death leads to ignorance, period, about this life. Two quotes real quick from Ecclesiastes. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The second one, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Love of God and love of neighbor ought to be what motivate us most deeply. But in assisting us, there's a healthy dose of thinking about our final end. Not only is the natural cycle of the seasons coming to that dormant time, but the church's liturgical season ends four weeks from now. Today we focused on death. Next week I will focus on judgment and then heaven and hell and Christ's kingship. May the Lord grant us to focus on these four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and thereby gain profit for our souls.